This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Current Affairs Podcast with Will and Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, Will. Now, this is not any normal episode. After a long hiatus or sabbatical, if you will, Ben and I have returned to you to give you season three of the Current Affairs Podcast. Current Affairs is our news discussion podcast where we bring to you high-end discussion about the biggest news stories of the week and a couple of the more wacky, wild side of life kind of stories. We will also answer a couple of questions from you, our loyal legions of followers. You can find us basically anywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you search Purple Radio, you will find us as The Current Affairs Podcast with Will and Ben. We play every Thursday at 2pm on Purple Radio, as we are doing now. So Ben, over to you. What's been happening? Well, firstly, I just want to say it's true. We're back. And with what a bang! On today's show, we will have our first ever proper guest interview. um, Featuring the councillor and former MP, Andrew McKinley. In today's episode, he will recount his experiences getting into politics as a Labour MP, as well as his pivotal party switch when, in 2019, he began running in council elections as a Liberal Democrat. And of course, the show would not be the current affairs podcast with Will and Ben without bringing you some of the strangest, very much not in the mainstream media news. This week, covering potholes, Bernie Sanders and bouncy castles. Stay tuned for the first episode of the third season of the current affairs podcast so well it's been a while what have you what have you been up to well i've been i've been just just hanging man just you know just chilling bro just chilling out there <laughs> i've had a pretty pretty glorious summer yes, large I amounts of which I, I think i spent with you <laughs> 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 no ben and i had a lovely trip to italy over the summer not to not to make everyone terribly jealous shout out to hannah for for organizing that one um that. yeah i uh, did a did an internship when uh went out around the country a little bit, you know, just sort of general general normal stuff. Anyway, so perfectly normal stuff. Before we accelerate on to the to the main purpose of our of our show today, which is of course the interview, we it wouldn't be the current affairs if we didn't quickly run over perhaps one of the uh, biggest news stories of the week, namely the budget. Yes. So just to give you guys a little little insight, uh, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak announced um, yesterday. Was it yesterday? The budget? It yes, was yesterday. It was yes, yesterday. Yes. Last night. The, uh, the sort of following uh, financial changes in the British economy. So increase in living wage to nine pounds fifty. Cancellation of planned rise in fuel duty. Uh, change in alcohol duties, which means the beer will probably be cheaper i've looked I've, I've, this is the only policy i've actually probably yes. looked into it's gonna be 5p cheaper i've heard rumors Uh-oh. rumors Uh-oh. of a of a certain 99p pint at a certain <laughs> very popular <laughs> chain <laughs> pub that we has two bases in durham that we can't name on air but yes that i've heard rumors instagram <laughs> I, will, for, I will give you my my sources in the description in fact i won't because i can't be bothered no, can't, but yes anyway um but yes so that is the latest news stories of the week. But I think, without any further ado, we should we should provide perhaps the first sort of proper serious thing we have done on this show. I like it. I like this change in tone for us. It's yeah. far more. We've grown up. It's far more proper spelling. Spelling of we've turned from boys current. to men over the, over the summer. <laughs> I feel. Um, so we're all sit in back, our twenties now. Sit back and relax, and perhaps 
just bear with us if there's any technical issues but we're gonna I provide that. you I with that very much yes we're going to be giving you the the interview so enjoy enjoy everyone So, hi, uh, Andrew, and welcome to the Current Affairs podcast. How are you uh, this morning? Uh, I'm very well. Um, I've had a busy couple of weeks. I attended both the Labour Party conference and the Conservative Party conference uh, as an observer. Uh, And uh, similarly, I was in on the virtual meeting of the Liberal Democrat conference in the previous weeks. So I've had a conference season. Uh, I have been uh, going to party conferences since 1969. And uh, there are some people who've been going longer than me, but I've probably seen the whole sweep of a number of political epochs through the prism of party conferences. Yeah. So just on that sort of point of party conferences, could you sort of give our listeners a bit more of an insight into... Sort of what party conferences are now uh, are like nowadays, what the differences are between the uh, different parties and sort of how they've changed since, did you say 1969 was the sort of first time you you attended one? Yeah. Yes, well, it's interesting. I, I think there are two things to say. One in relation to the Conservative and Labour Party conferences. They are paraded by both the spin doctors and the media as comparable um uh, events they aren't in a way the labor party for good or for ill washes their dirty uh, washing in public they have battles the labor conference is still a rather albeit crude system of decision making policy formulation etc the conservative party uh, at first sight you think it's similar but there are really no votes. It's not a policy-making conference. It is more of a rally. And I think that's the, the substantial difference. And, of course, uh, probably if one was looking at political operations, you would say the Conservatives are the more sensible ones because they don't do their washing in, in public. And uh, certainly over the years I've been going to Labour conferences, I've seen not literally but what we would call blood on the carpet, you know, there's been big battles there, yeah. and there were some close-run battles this year. So there are the differences between those two. But the other thing which a lot of people don't understand and the media doesn't convey is that the party conferences are not what you see in the plenary hall, but they are a massive exhibition area. They're like an ideal home uh, exhibition or a boat show or an industrial f- uh, uh, festival uh, for every pressure group, every industry, um, every campaign for this and that, supporters of various movements for independence, for democracy and so on. There's a vast exhibition area where uh, people pay quite large sums of money to exhibit. And um, also the place is crawling. I don't mean that in any narcissist sense with people who are lobbyists, both lobbyist firms and in-house lobbyists, because many of the big industries and um, trade groups obviously have their in-house lobbyists. So that's the importance of the party conferences is not the plenary, which you see on TV. It's the networking going on for a week. And obviously, when a party is in government, 
it's even more intense. Yeah, yeah. What was what was the sort of feeling at the re- respective conferences? What was the sort of uh, mood? Were the were the Tories feeling sort of quite triumphalist and sort of pleased, and was Labour a bit more fractious? Or what 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 was it like in sort of on the ground, as it were? Well, it's a good question. I mean, uh, people who attend party conferences are the party faithful. They believe in the faith. And um, certainly uh, there was a degree of confidence in the Labour Party conference. But um, they've done that before and gone down to heavy electoral defeats time and time again. The Conservative Party, again, very buoyant. A lot of young people there, politically ambitious, no doubt. Yes, enthusiastic, yes. I mean, it's the place to be seen and the place to probably try and get um, uh, a a job or even a secondment or an internship. These are places where people circulate uh, who are interested in being involved in politics. Um, But um, I think there was also a degree of nervousness amongst some of the old stages in the Conservative Party who have bear the bear, who bear the scars of uh, conservative defeats under Tony Blair? You know they have longer memories, and there's a degree of nervousness. You've seen the criticism in the press about the prime minister's speech, not by me, but by a political commentator saying it was economically illiterate. His speech to conference, uh, well. Um, I think that is reflected in some of the older Conservative members of Parliament and peers. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that. That is interesting. And then, in sort of what, what, in what capacity do you sort of uh, are you do you sort of get the privilege of being able to attend all three uh, party conferences? Because I know you're currently a, a Liberal Democrat councillor, but why is it that you're able to attend both? Labour and perhaps even more sort of uniquely the Conservative Party conference, despite not having sort of much to do with those parties nowadays? Well, I think there are two things I should say. I'm a student of politics. I love politics. And uh, it's very good to attend not just your own side, but those of your opponents. They're public meetings. And you are made very welcome. I mean, one of the strengths of British politics is that uh, people uh, of all persuasions are uh, welcomed in in the fringe um, festival, which I've described, Um, because in addition to the exhibition stands by the various trade groups and campaigns, uh, you have countless numbers of fringe meetings, and fringe meetings probably promoted not by a partisan, politically partisan group, but by a charity, a campaigners against um, poverty, homelessness, campaigns to protect and promote the rights of uh, people who are in exile from and are persecuted by various regimes. That's tracking back before that. What, what were your sort of primary uh, motivations to getting so involved in politics as you, as you have been for your sort of adult life? Well, I didn't come from a political family, but um, certainly um, I think one's, in my case, people have different things which attract me into politics. But I think one's Christian faith um, uh, had an impact. I was brought up uh, 
uh, a Catholic, and um, certainly I, I saw, and I remember listening to a wonderful Methodist minister, the Reverend Donald Soper, who referred to the Sermon on the Mount given to us by St. Matthew as the greatest socialist manifesto ever written. And I've often uh, reverted to that, and it is. It, it's a, it's a, not only a beautiful piece of the New Testament, but it, it's very interesting and quite inspiring to many people who are in politics. So I think that attracted one to politics. I've also, ever since from an early age, had a great interest in the First World War. And if you understand the First World War, you can understand where we are at today, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere and across Europe. And uh, that also influenced me and attracted me to being on the Foreign Affairs Committee later on when I got to Parliament. Um, so, uh, but uh, when I was 12, my father one evening said, let's go up to the House of Commons, to my surprise. And we queued up for a couple of hours and we eventually got into the gallery. And of course, I didn't understand what they were debating. Uh, but I love the atmosphere. And Harold, Harold Wilson, who was a great parliamentary performer and a great speaker, a model speaker uh, at the dispatch box, he taunted the Macmillan government very effectively on that evening. And I found it very exciting. And I think that was the trigger uh, of my interest in the House of Commons and the Palace of Westminster and debating skills. Uh, throughout my life, I've watched other people deliver speeches in order to try and improve my own. It's um, public speaking is a, a sport which you can sort of continue to develop your skills throughout your life, and I'm still doing it. Hmm. Well, yes. So yes, um, that is that is that is sort of quite the journey. So what what was the actual sort of process of of becoming? a um, member of parliament as well what did you, what did you have to do because a lot of people become researchers a lot of people perhaps sort of it's about sort of who they know or, or don't know um so how what was your sort of journey into was the actual process of becoming a a parliamentarian well that's a good question a number of things going through my mind in in order to reply to you one of the things if you are a labor party member and enthusiast but you live in a conservative area it's very difficult to get to be get known in Labour Party circles. Um, that's um, and and the reverse might also happen. I, I don't know, but if you're a conservative, say in a strong Labour area, it's very difficult to get noticed by the Conservative Party. So you have to overcome that. I, I lived in Kingston upon Thames in Surrey. I managed to get selected to fight my first parliamentary election in 1974 at the age of 24, which was quite young. But it took from that time till I was 42 years of age to win a seat in Parliament. And I you know, had many a disappointment uh, going round the country trying to be selected. I fought, uh, fought um, the election in 1983 in Croydon and in 1987 in Peterborough. And each time I'd say I, I really ought to get the message and give up, but I did persist. And eventually I got elected for Thurrock and I served there for 18 years uh, before I retired in 2010. Um, but um, it, it, it is a difficult uh, and uh, there's a lot of luck in politics. Um, a young Tony Blair was hardly known of, but there was a sudden last minute vacancy in a new constituency called Sedgefield. Mm. And uh, uh, the, there was a, a, a left winger 
candidate, an MP or former MP, who was um, earmarked by lots of people for the new seat of Sedgefield. And there were a number of people who wanted to stop him being selected at all costs. And they found a man called Tony Blair and he got selected and the rest is history. <laughs> so there's a lot of luck, a lot, lot of luck involved. Um, but you do need to be able to show persistence and resilience and face considerable disappointments. And, of course, if you're selected for a, a seat which is marginal, you can throw everything into it mentally, physically, financially, uh, a great personal cost, only to find great disappointment when you miss out in the general election by probably a handful of votes. Mm -hmm. You put you put a lot of time and dedication into the Labour Party in your sort of in that stage of your life. Was it talk us through the decision you made to to because obviously now you are a Lib Dem councillor. Talk us through that decision. Was it a particularly hard one for you? <clears throat> well, I've been a passionate European. I think I indicated that earlier, and um, greatly I think shaped and influenced in that view by my passionate interest in the causes and consequences of World War One. Uh, and, and as I say, that the outcome of World War One has brought us very largely to the map of Europe today, and the political and geopolitical sort of nature of that that uh, canvas. Um, uh, the Labour Party's equivocal approach to Brexit was unacceptable to me. It was neither one thing nor the other. I mean, I would have been very upset if they had supported uh, Brexit candidly, openly, if they campaigned for it. But it was uh, an ambiguous fudge by uh, under Corbyn's leadership. And um, uh, so that, that's the first point. Uh, it was unacceptable to me. I, I wanted to campaign. I got sucked back into politics and found a vehicle in the Liberal Democrats who were unequivocally uh, in support of remaining in Europe. Um, the second point was that um, uh, I've always been in the left of centre, probably what you would call social democrat. Nothing's changed. And uh, I didn't see the Labour Party as in that category. Thirdly, and I didn't leave purely for this reason, but one of the factors which is important to me and has been all my political life is the need for um, electoral reform. I believe in proportional representation. And the Liberal Democrats have been consistently in support of electoral reform. I think the first-past-the-post system is indefensible. It's only marginally better than holding a raffle, in my view. It, it's such, such is our electoral system so terribly flawed. And uh, so I, I thought it was now time to make a stand my wife and I had 100 years continuous membership between us of the Labour Party. I had 52 years, she had 48. So it wasn't easily done. I didn't storm out. I didn't slam a door. I just let my membership lapse for a year, year and a half. And then logic dictated to me that I might as well put my money where my mouth is and uh, formally sign up to the Liberal Democrats. And that's what I did. Um, the Liberal Democrats, I, I think, may yet in this political cycle prove um, to be the alternative for countless hundreds of thousands, if not millions of voters who share my belief in left of centre, 
liberal social democratic politics. I think it, it could yet appeal. Uh, and um, I, I also think the Labour Party, I'm very proud of what, much of what the Labour Party has done, but I think everything has its season. It's done the heavy social lift of 1945 to 1951 uh, and the enduring health service, the welfare state. Uh, they've helped to expand and bolster uh, opportunities for education over their periods of office under Harold Wilson, Callaghan, Blair and Brown. Uh, and of course, to say the enduring legacy of Clement Attlee. So there's a pr proud tradition there, and I'm very proud of the Labour Party. But I think it is also a deeply conservative party when it comes to constitutional reform, innovation, electoral reform, and things like that. You know, the party conference this very uh, autumn, uh, which I was referring to earlier ago, uh, had a vote on electoral reform and it was rejected, rejected. And uh, I think that kind of helped to reaffirm my view that I was right to move on in my party political membership. Mm. Yes, that's, that is that is that is interesting. You, you sort of sort of finally you 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 kind of alluded to it there, but can you give us sort of any expert predictions on how the uh, British political landscape is going to play out over the next couple of years. How do you think it's all going to sort of work out? Who do you think is going to win the next election? Well, this will be quite interested to, to know. <laughs> One of the things we haven't talked about is Scotland. And um, I think that the Labour Party has irretrievably lost their support in Scotland. There is going to be 50, 56 SNP members returned at the next general election. And at the very best, for people who are non-conservative, at the very best, it will be the SNP holding the balance. And um, so Keir Starmer cannot get into Downing Street uh, with an, out, uh, an outright win. I, I simply don't think that's possible or credible. I don't, I'm not pleased about that, but I think that's the the naked truth. Um, it's possible that Nicola Sturgeon, the SNP, will hold the balance and then there would be, I would suspect, an arrangement, a parliamentary arrangement, not coalition, neither party would want a coalition, but uh, they would agree a parliamentary legislative package for two or three years, providing the government guaranteed uh, a referendum on Scotland. And... Uh, so I think that that's the likely outcome and the price which will emerge after the next general election if the Conservatives lose their majority. Mm. One has to be sober about that. As of uh, today, uh, they are, all the indications are, and I actually do follow opinion polls, and by and large, they are a good snapshot of opinion uh, in, in broad brush terms, so they are accurate. Uh, for these purposes anyway. And at this moment of time, the Conservatives would win a general election, but we haven't got a general election this week. It, it's not likely to be till 2024 or something like that. But I would have thought that the Scottish SNP vote is pretty resilient and they will get that tranche of uh, members of parliament, which I referred 50 to 56, and they have the prospect of holding the balance of power and their prices are pretty obvious one. Hmm. Well, that I think that's everything from me. Excuse me. Um, 
Uh, and ben, do you have anything else to to add to that? <clears throat> no, nothing to add. Well, in that case, thank you so much, uh, Andrew, for appearing on our show as the first guest, uh, first proper guest, really, of the of the Current Affairs podcast. Uh, we thank you very much for your time. You've been uh, fantastic. Um, and yeah, just thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank on. you very much. I've enjoyed it. Enjoyed thank it you, very Andrew. much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So... Fantastic. And there you have it, our first proper interview. What an experience that was. Thank you so much again to to Andrew McKinley for being an absolute um, pleasure to interview on the, the Current Affairs podcast, our first sort of proper guest. Yes. yes. Shout out to Beth. Yes, once to give her top three songs last time. Second proper guest. <laughs> second proper guest. That's fine. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be the Current Affairs podcast with Will and Ben if we didn't wrap up the show with a bit of the wacky, more wild side of life kind of story. So, Ben, 100%. what you got? Well, um, I was, you know, I was browsing the internet, as I do, on my sort of Thursday mornings in preparation for our show. You know, it's, it's, it's part of the drill. And I came across this this story, which happened, um, which, is, which is in the age, a Melbourne newspaper, so not in Britain an international show that we are and it is about a uh, a bouncy castle business owner who led and an, an <laughs> i sort of i sort of took a, took a double take when i read this at first bouncy castle business owner led an arson campaign <laughs> to get ahead of his rivals and basically in 2016 and this has all been written about because he's been to court recently he, he just set fire to random businesses in Melbourne to get the one up on them so he could get all the business. What's random businesses or rival bouncy castles? Rival castles. bouncy castles. This was very much a targeted event. Um, Goodness me. The, it's like something out of succession or, <laughs> or you know, the, these, these, these media, not media, these, um, Conglomerates battling it out against each yes. other to gain to gain market supremacy in the <laughs> Melbourne ba- bounce castle industry is quite quite something. It's tough competition, and it calls for tough action, but perhaps not arson. Perhaps using more sort of free market terms. We want to just make you aware, you know, anyone anyone owning bouncy castles, be careful out there. Because Especially if you're in the Melbourne area, if we reach that far, there's an yeah. arsonist on the loose. <laughs> well, you're not far from Melbourne, are you? In your what, in Hong Kong? In Hong Kong? <laughs> Made about 10 hour flights away It's about 5,000 miles closer to Melbourne than here. <laughs> I say so. <laughs> um, I'm also not in Hong Kong. Well, I'm very much in Durham. He's very much in Durham. Also, how are you finding the new studio, actually? Because 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 to, to all our listeners, this is the first time we've done and recorded the podcast. I say podcast because we've done a live show before. In a new studio. Yes. How am I finding the new studio? Um, hot. Is, oh, yeah, it's a bit warm. It's, the, it's, the it's, the it, it's, it's lovely. The, 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 the equipment is fantastic. The microphones, yeah. as you can hear, make us sound like 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 the, the, the angels singing in heaven itself. I'm but, sure. But um, it is it is quite warm. It's quite well. It's quite the step up from the Zoom audio that, that our, our yes. legions of fans were used to in season one. Yes, and then there was. We haven't actually uh, issued a formal apology for season two yet. <laughs> we we, uh, we couldn't. Ben was often very hungover for the <laughs> shows. It wasn't just I me. was. I was busy, man. I was, you know, making big, big waves. So, um, yeah, it perhaps wasn't the season two was not a success. The quality sure. that we would have liked. Yeah. So that's why you can't find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, <laughs> any other streaming platforms because we're we wouldn't dare post sully our content. But season three. As you have, as has been demonstrated for you today, is a, is a, is a renaissance. Renaissance. Back to the glory days of February 2020 for the Current yes. Affair podcast. Yes. Anyway, it's nice to be back. Are you looking? Tell forward? me about one of your stories. Actually, well, you've got gonna, one of your stories. I, I was going to lead into that by oh, saying, sorry, are you, are you, 
Are you looking forward to Halloween? I am looking forward to Halloween. Yeah. We, uh, the current affairs podcast hosts are, are collaborating for Halloween, but we'll get on to that after you talk to me about a funny piece of news. Well, it's to do with Halloween. That's why I asked uh, about Halloween. It's, it's, there is a, a, a sexy Bernie Sanders outfit. Uh, which is which has gone viral. It is it is people wearing Bernie Sanders' famous grey coat, mask, and mittens combo that he wore to to um, Biden's inauguration. I think it was. <laughs> so anyway, if, was. You're, if you're feeling like you want to be particularly trendy uh, and perhaps not be sort of too mainstream and go as a character from Squid Game or something, which sort of fifty percent of the population are going to do, I think. <laughs> you can go as Bernie Sanders looking well, we don't know how he's looking because he's got a mask on, but looking present <laughs> at the engaged uh, at the inauguration. He's yes. definitely there. As to how engaged he is, I'm not sure because you know, well, he looks quite uh, cross, but uh, he looks uh, furious. <laughs> but, but it's weird because it's Biden's inauguration. So anyway, if you it, that that is that is a popular Halloween costume outfit. If you if you if you relish the fashion tips that we give you here on the Current Affairs podcast, renowned for fashion, one of our many pearls of wisdom, the Ben and Will Current Affairs fashion show. Yes, yes, rivaling only Gokwan himself. <laughs> there, um, but yeah. So Bernie Sanders um, um, costume buy them before they run out. Will they? I, I, don't, I don't know. know. We'll uh, find out. We'll find out after yeah. Halloween. If I see someone dressed as Bernie Sanders, I will. I'll shake that. We'll invite them I'm on honest. the show. Yes. <laughs> How was your experience as Bernie Sanders this year? Exactly. Yeah. That'll be our next interview. No, well, speaking of which, we have another major political interview next week, which we have we to do. go and shoot quite soon in, yes. a, in a different location. Yes. Um, with, with the former Secretary of State for Justice and Lord Chancellor Robert Buckland. So we, we gave you a flavour of the sort of perhaps the left. Uh, of British yep. politics this week with Andrew McKinley, but we are we are veering firmly to the right. Well, not fat. He's, he's actually quite centrist. Yeah. But, you know, uh, <laughs> um, know. Um, you know, we're having um, Robert Buckland uh, on the show next week, and I think the episode after that is going to be a return to the old style format. Of I hope so. Comfort. I like the old format stuff. Yes, we were we'll just saying. It a bit as more. lovely as interviewing is, we were sat in the studio like lemons for yeah, about yeah. twenty minutes, listening to the the pre recorded interview. But we hope you enjoyed that. But. Um, I think that's everything from me. Have you got anything to add? I don't know. Well, no, just, just, just yeah. keep on tuning in every Thursday at 2pm, streaming live on PurpleRadio.com or some, whatever it is, and then we'll put it up on Spotify a day later, so yeah. And we're back. Keep listening. We're back, yeah. baby, back. Hey. I hope you've enjoyed the first episode. Yes. We've enjoyed sitting here like lemons listening to, well, actually quite an interesting interview. Yeah, it is. Um, but, yeah, see you next week. So from the Current Affairs boys, thank you very much, and goodbye. Au revoir. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.